We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible, presented by Broadway Sports Media. We're partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. As always, Justin Mello is joining me to record this podcast on Thursday evening. And we are going to recap a wild week of football news for a league that is in the offseason. I tell you, Justin, the NFL is just a crazy news cycle all the time. It really is. And we called it last week, right? We said by by last week's episode and this week's episode that a lot was going to happen. And, and boy, did it ever. Oh, man. So, I mean, we got salary cap has been set. Lots of teams signed and cut players. Malcolm Butler's gone. Kenny Vaccaro's gone. Isaiah Wilson is gone. Khalif Raymond is going to be gone. Kari Blossom game is back. We're going to dive deep into this news week. Everything that happened, focus specifically on the stuff that happened to the Titans. Before we dive into that, I'm just going to I'm going to go on an NFL news rant and we're going to talk about everything that happened in the NFL. Most significantly, the salary cap has been set, came in at 182.5 million. Teams have been informed they will not be allowed to borrow money from future years of the cap, whatever that even means. They are not going to be taking money from the media deals of the future. And last year's cap, 2020 season was around 198 million, so this is a significant reduction. 182.5 million is the final cap. They said it was going to be 180 to 185, so we so it was all kind of expected. Maybe hopeful that the the new TV deals would get done before this had to be set, but couldn't make it happen. They they ran out of time. Free agency is about to start. League year is about to reset, so they had to set a salary cap. They didn't even do it before the franchise tag transition tag deadline day, which is crazy. They actually did it the next morning, so maybe the teams had an idea of what was coming, but. Thoughts on what this number came in at? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I, I guess a lot of people, you know, were expecting it to come in between 180 and 185. I guess, you know, the only chance it could have been higher is if, as you mentioned, if the TV deals maybe got done in time and and they found some extra money there. But it, it's not a high number, right? Let's be honest. It's not a high number. And you're seeing the ramifications of that number league-wide right now. Yeah, let's talk about some of those ramifications. So the Saints have cut tons of guys, including Emmanuel Sanders, Janoris Jenkins, Quan Alexander. The Bills cut John Brown. The Lions cut nickel cornerback Justin Coleman. The Dolphins officially released Kyle Van Noy. The Giants released guard Kevin Zeitler. The Chiefs are going to lose three starting O-linemen, including Eric Fisher and Mitchell Swartz, both of their starting tackles, along with their starting center. So, I mean, you said it, ramifications galore here. This is what's going to happen, and we're recording this on Thursday night. It's going to come out Friday morning. Hopefully you're listening to it on Friday morning because I have a feeling that a lot more things are going to happen on Friday throughout the day that unfortunately due to the nature of how this works we're not going to get to touch on until next week if at all so yeah i mean it sucks we'll get into the titans cuts after we finish going through the nfl news but it's a handicap that every team is going to have to work with this year so i think that that's the one kind of silver lining the titans get eight million dollars approximately in rollover space so their salary cap is like 190 million or so we'll see how john robinson works it but Continuing on with the news, as expected, Dak Prescott signed his mega extension with the Cowboys. They finally got that deal done, so he's locked up. 
Trent Brown will be returning to the Patriots in a surprise move after he was cut earlier this offseason. The Washington football team tendered quarterback Kyle Allen. So we'll see what goes on in Washington there with the quarterback situation. They probably are going to need to draft somebody. We'll see. And the Ravens are shopping offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. after he pretty much declared that he wouldn't play right tackle anymore. He was only a left tackle. I love this story. It's so crazy to me. I feel like you never see this where a player wants to switch sides. I mean, left tackle is a more valuable position, but it's interesting. I saw that the Colts will not be in on the Orlando Brown sweepstakes when it comes to trading for him. So I think that's good news for Titans fans. The Bills signed Matt Milano to a four-year, $44 million contract with $24 million guaranteed. And I want to stop there and talk about that for a sec because I think that's going to have maybe a little bit of an impact or maybe it's a kind of a foreshadowing shadow of what's going to happen with Jayon Brown's contract situation. Would you pay Jayon the same contract Matt Milano got? That's tough. You know, I hate that you're putting me on the spot like this. Uh, <laughs> no, all kidding aside. Uh, I, I'm going to lean towards no, you know, as much as I love Jayon Brown, I think, you know, the Titans cap situation is not yet in a perfect situation. I know that, you know, they've released a lot of guys. They've created some more room and we're, and we're going to get to all that, but you know, Matt Milano got four years, 44 million. You know, when you're looking at the possibility of signing a, a, a big-time edge guy, potentially, you look at maybe trying to bring Jonu Smith back, trying to bring Corey Davis back, which I think those two things right there, those three things are, are probably a bigger priority than, than bringing Jay on back. Four years, $44 million, it's it's a lot of money, man, and I, I think it's going to be priced a little out of their market. I agree, and we got the numbers on Matt Milano's contract. For for 2021, the base salary is $5.3 million. The signing bonus is $7 million. It's a four-year contract, so you divide that by four, almost $2 million, plus the $5.3 million. You're looking at about a $7 million cap hit for 2021. I'm just not sure the Titans can afford that with Jayon Brown this year, especially when it's one of the few positions where you kind of have a ready-made replacement on the roster ready to step into a bigger role, that being David Long, obviously. So, you know, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, so I won't spend too much time, but they could draft a linebacker there in the mid-rounds. John Robinson's had a lot of success doing that. So I ultimately agree, but and I I do think this is probably where where Jayon Brown's contract falls, whoever he does sign with, which could help the Titans netting uh, comp picks for next year's draft. But another linebacker signed the Bucks re-signed Levante David, two-year, twenty-five million dollar contract, but they added on three voided years. So his first year cap hit is only three and a half million. Now, if the Titans were able to work out something like that with Jayon Brown, I think you can easily stomach a three and a half million dollar cap hit for 2021 for a guy you know is going to be a key starter on your defense. But this whole void years thing, I want to talk about it for a sec because I'm not sure everyone understands how it works. And I didn't even understand really how it worked until recently, but it seems like it's going to be a big thing this year because as we've stressed repeatedly, the salary cap is very low this year, 2021, but next year and the year after that, it's expected to rise quite a bit, especially as these TV deals come in and they're expected to be signed sometime before next season, right? So if that were to happen, the cap would jump up. And what a voided year does is it basically allows a team to take the signing bonus, aka the guaranteed money, and spread it out over more years. So you, the way a typical contract is structured is you have the base salary, the annual base salary, which for Matt Milano goes from like four to five million or something like that. And typically you'll you'll 
increase that each year because you're trying to reduce your first year cap hit or whatever. And that's basically the game check that the player gets is that base salary divided by the number of games they play or whatever, which is going to be pretty complicated if they had a 17th game, by the way, for players who signed a contract before the idea of a 17th game was... Sorry, this is a tangent, but there could be some contract implications there if players signed a contract at a, at a base salary of a certain number, thinking it was divided by 16 games, now going to be divided by 17 games. There's other players who signed a contract more recently after they knew the, about the idea of a 17th game who are going to get paid the same rate per game. So their game, their per game check doesn't change, but players who signed a contract a long time ago, their per game contract will reduce. So there's going to be some interesting stuff going on there. Sorry for that random tangent. Anyway, voided years, take the base salary, and then you take the signing bonus. Typically, signing bonuses are anywhere from 15 to 30 to $20 million, whatever. Um, and you divide that over the years of the contract and add it to the base salary. So if you have a $5 million base salary in year one and a $20 million signing bonus that you divide over a four-year contract, you would take $5 million, a quarter of $20 million, add it to the $5 million base salary, and $10 million is your first-year cap hit, right? With voided years, you spread that guaranteed number, that, that signing bonus number, out over more years. So instead of spreading it out over the four years of the contract, if you tacked on two void years, you would spread it out over six years. So instead of being 20 divided by four, it's 20 divided by six added to the base salary. So it's just a way to reduce the cap hit, and eventually you'll be paying a guy, not technically because you gave him all the money up front in a signing bonus, but you'll be paying a guy in terms of cap space who's not been on your team for a year or two because of the way voided years work. So it's a super complex, weird contract quirk that I don't even really understand why it's legal, to be honest, because it's basically just like cheating, even though you do have to pay that cap hit eventually. But it's just something I think every fan should familiarize themselves with if you care about how contracts work, because I think we're going to see a ton of contracts once free agency starts with these voided years to help teams manage the first year cap hit. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, I'll be honest. You know, I I, I really didn't uh, really understand it myself uh, until recently. I think I still have some questions about it, but I I, I agree. It's it's kind of odd to me that it's legal. Uh, I don't really understand why the NFL allows it. I guess you know, just as you said, because you are going to have to pay it at some point, and it's it's going to hurt you maybe down the road. But I agree with you. You know, with the way COVID, the, the impact that COVID had on the cap this year, teams are hurting bad. Again, we've seen it le uh, around the league. Teams are cutting guys that, you know, maybe a couple of them they didn't want to cut, but they feel like they have to, feel like they need the extra money this year. Um, teams are going to have to get creative, right, with how they fit these these players under contract for 2021 and and going forward. So I think you're right. I think you're going to see a lot of it in the coming weeks. Uh, you'll, you'll see more releases, but you're also going to see a bunch of uh, void voidable years added to the end of these contracts just to just to try to build a competitive team in 2021 right and speaking of building a competitive team a couple of players on the market that i think might be interesting from a titans perspective who weren't necessarily expected to hit free agency cap casualties veterans guys like wide receiver john brown played most recently in buffalo i think that you know the titans need speed john brown's dealt with injuries in his career but I mean, he's still got juice, I think. I don't think he's over the hill. I think this was purely a money thing where the Bills have Stephon Diggs now, so that they don't, and Cole Beasley, they don't need John Brown quite as much. He missed a decent amount of time last season. But what do you think about John Brown in a Titans uniform if Corey Davis walks? Yeah, John Brown's an intriguing guy to me. I agree. You know, I hate to be that guy that sits up here and, 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 and talks about signing every guy that gets cut. You know, that's, that's not our style here. But John Brown's one that fits. You know, I think this team uh, wants to get faster. 
this offseason on both sides of the ball. And that's something we're going to touch on a little later when it comes to some of these cuts. But I think they want to get faster on both sides. They don't really have a speed merchant at the receiver position. You know, Darrington Evans is a guy I think can help add some speed next year. Uh, You know, a guy that we didn't see enough of in 2020, uh, you know, due to various factors. But I do think they need to get faster on both sides. And John Brown is still got some juice. I don't think the Browns cut John Brown. Now I'll admit I'm not, I'm not all that familiar with their cap situation, but I don't think they cut John Brown if they don't have a similar younger player in Gabriel Davis, right? Who also has yeah. terrific speed and you saw do some good things down the stretch for them. So, but John Brown's not done. I agree. And he's got some great speed still. He can really add a vertical threat to any team. And uh, yeah, Titans should, should very much be intrigued by John Brown. At least kick the tires, see what the asking price would be and, and see if they can work it in because I mean, if Corey Davis walks, you look at drafting a rookie receiver that you hope can take on a, a bigger role. But John Brown is a guy that could step in in case that that rookie isn't quite ready. And he, like you said, he adds that downfield element. So I'm intrigued. I'm not saying they have to go sign him, but I'm definitely intrigued. Another guy I'm intrigued by is nickel cornerback Justin Coleman, who the Lions just released. Not because I know that much about Justin Coleman, to be frank. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he was the highest paid nickel cornerback in the NFL before the Lions released him, at least from an average annual salary point of view. And the Titans don't really have very many cornerbacks. Like, obviously, we'll talk about Malcolm Butler here in a second, but you're looking at a Dory Jackson, Christian Fulton, Desmond King set to be a free agent. They need a guy that's a that's a dedicated nickel unless they draft somebody. What do you think about Justin Coleman? Is he too expensive because he was already more expensive or... Do you get him on a cheaper contract now? I don't know. Be interesting to see where the market falls. I, I can't imagine he's going to be super expensive. You know, it strikes me as a guy that may come in the range of about five to six million dollars a year, probably. If you're moving on from Desmond King and you and you really value that position, look, they, you said it. They need corners, and we're going to talk about that more once we get to the Malcolm Butler news. But they certainly need corners, and, and they probably need a, a nickel guy, right? Especially if you're moving on from King, which I expect that they are. Right now, you have a Dory Jackson and Christian Fulton, and both of them are are better suited to play on the outside. We know that Fulton was was going to play um, in, in the nickel this past year. It didn't really work out that way due to injuries and, and some other factors, and they, they brought King in midway through the year. But Fulton, again, is a guy that I think is better suited to play on the outside. Um, of course, we're going to see you know roster some some things change there, and and they're going to bring in more guys. Of course, they need to bring in more guys. But when you look at what they have right now, you know, Dory Jackson, Chris. Fulton, I think they're both outside guys, so they should very much be looking to add to the nickel position uh, this offseason. Yep. One other bit of NFL news I'm going to name here before we move on to the Titans is that compensatory picks, comp picks, were officially awarded. As expected, the Titans will have an extra third rounder. No surprise here. All mock drafts, everything has accounted for this projected extra third rounder. It came in at pick 100 exactly, which gives Tennessee four picks in the top 100, and they are going to need to use them very wisely as they attempt to rebuild this or restock really this this roster in, in a down year for the cap all right we've talked about it enough let's get to it Malcolm Butler it's got to be the Titans headline of the week I mean in a week of headlines this is probably for the Tennessee Titans the biggest one veteran cornerback Malcolm Butler released he was due 14.2 million dollars this year he leaves with a dead cap hip of dead cap hit of 4 million so he'll be left with the Titans will be saving 10.2 million against the cap with this release He's a guy that was maybe the best player on defense last year after, you know, he struggled his when he first got to Tennessee at first six or seven games. He, 
Titans fans are wondering why they paid this guy, but he definitely turned it around, came into his own, and, and was pretty much the best cornerback on the roster for the better part of his time here. It's tough to see him go, but that is the NFL world for defensive backs over the age of 30, especially when they have a cap hit of $14 million for one season. So sad to see Malcolm Butler go. You love his toughness. You love his attitude. Junkyard dog kind of player in that secondary, but it's time to get younger and cheaper, I think. Yeah, this was a tough one for me. You know, again, we always kind of knew it was a possibility. Um, given the large cap number, what you said at 14 mil, he was going to count towards against the cap this year. And, and they saved, you know, just, just North of 10 million by cutting him. It's, it's a, it's a big number. And uh, you know, if you go back three years, I don't know if I put it on record. Uh, I, I think I did, but uh, I remember saying when I saw the contract, ah, he'll be here for three years. You know, when I, when I yeah. saw the guaranteed money. Um, so it's not overly shocking in, in that facet of it. But when I look at this, you know, again, a, a defense that struggled last year, definitely their best player on, on defense last year, right? Certainly wasn't Kevin Byard. Certainly wasn't Jeffrey Simmons. Don't think it was Harold Landry either. Jayon wasn't healthy enough. It wasn't Rashawn Evans. You know, it obviously wasn't a Dory Jackson. It's gotta be Malcolm Butler, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, that's tough. You know, you're not, now or you're Armani going, Hooker, but he played so limited snaps. It's yeah, hard I to mean, just I, give it to I, him. I don't <laughs> think, and David Long played some good football as well. I, I think David Long probably has a better argument than Armani Hooker does. But even mm -hmm. then, I, I'd still say it was Malcolm Butler. And, and and that's where this is tough. At the same time, again, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30 uh, with the cap situation being what it is. I mean, it's a disaster for these NFL teams. Let's be honest. It's, it's a disaster. If you haven't, I highly recommend you head over to uh, my sports update on, on Twitter and and real and he had a tweet that I just retweeted uh, here on Friday night. The cap didn't drop from 198 to 182. It dropped from 208 to 182. How teams prepared and negotiated deals with the expectation that the cap would go mm. up around 10 million. See the chart year by year. Then this happened and it threw all those plans off. So again, going into this year before COVID, before all this happened, the cap was going to be around 208. So for it to be at 182, I mean, it's a monumental difference, right? It's not even the situation where, oh, well, teams weren't better prepared for it. They prepared for what it was supposed to be. So right. put a lot of teams in tough spots. And, and Malcolm Butler may be a victim of that. You know, if this cap is 198, if it's, if it's you know, 200, I don't know that Malcolm Butler gets cut. I would like to think he wouldn't because this is still a good football player, uh, their best player at a position that's really important. You know, a position that they they, they need a lot of help at going into this offseason. And, and there are a lot of unknowns there right now. Now, I fully expect Adoree Jackson to, to come back from this injury and, and play good football like we've seen him do in the past, but it's not guaranteed. I expect Christian Fulton to take a step forward in year two and be the guy, uh, you know, be the guy that they thought they got when they drafted him in round two last year, certainly not writing him off after a rookie campaign where he didn't have, you know, um, a rookie mini camp and OTAs and, and training camp and even a preseason, certainly not writing him off, but we haven't really seen evidence yet, right. That he's going to come in and be an excellent corner for them. I think he's going to be a good one, but we haven't seen it yet. So the, the, they're really rolling the dice at the corner position right now. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a, a concerning outlook without Malcolm Butler in the picture. Yeah, right now, I definitely think it's it's easy to panic when you look at the players in the secondary. But there has to be a plan. I mean, John Robinson wouldn't do this without a reason to spend this money. I think that, in my personal opinion, you know, this move and the Kenny Vaccaro move, which we'll talk about in greater detail here in a second, 
were both done to help either. There's two two possibilities to me. Either you're trying to pay your offense in a league where offense is king, even though the defense won the day in the Super Bowl itself. I think overall you'd still say offense is the king right now. So either it's to pay Janu and Corey Davis or in other, bolster the offense in another way, or it's to move those resources on defense from the secondary to the defensive line where the Titans have been terrible for the better part of their time in Nashville. I mean, at least for the last 10 to 15 years. So yeah, maybe, maybe they're going to pay an edge rusher. Maybe they're going to pay Corey Davis and Johnu Smith, but it's not just to have cap space. So I do think that this is a move made with the intention to improve the team. Obviously you can argue the results of trusting the plan based on what happened last season, but overall John Robinson has, has built a team. He took a two and 14 team and took them to the AFC championship and made them a consistent playoff contender, consistent winning team nine and seven. So I do think while it's easy to panic now, you do kind of have to take the long view and trust the process and know that by the end of next week, the next time you and I are recording a podcast, this roster could look vastly different and it will uh, no question look different in two months from now after the draft is complete and we've really gone through all the free agency process. So it's a bummer and it hurts. And, and I think that, you know, it's one of those situations where you let a player go the year too early rather than pay him for a down year and let him go a year too late, you know? So I think that that's probably where their head was at here. Any last thoughts on Malcolm Butler before we talk about Kenny Vaccaro? Yeah, I think let's just end it on a positive note and 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 thank Malcolm Butler for the service here. You know, I know it, it didn't start on the right foot uh, and a lot of fans got angry quickly, but ultimately I would say Malcolm Butler, uh, I wouldn't call the signing of Malcolm Butler a failure. You know, and I don't think all. that's biased no, of me, all. right? Right, I, I yeah. really wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a failure. I think he brought a lot of good things to the team uh, outside of his, his his pretty good play. He was terrific this past year, by the way. We didn't really touch on that enough. You know, especially in that middle stretch of the season where all of a sudden we saw him start to shadow opposing receivers. Right, we saw him do it against Pittsburgh. I think it was Chase Claypool against Pittsburgh, uh, AJ Green against Cincinnati. Not that that was overly difficult uh, at this point in Green's career, but we saw a solid stretch of the season there where they had him shadow uh, opposing receivers, and, and he really held them in check the majority of the time. So, shout out to Malcolm Butler. Was a terrific Titan. Not only a good player, but brought the right mindset. Right, brought the right attitude. A tone setter on defense. A physical, tough player who always worked hard and loves to win. And I think he brought that winning mindset with him to Tennessee. And I. I think he really helped this team and his defense get better um, in his time here. So shout out to Malcolm Butler and, and looking forward to his next stop. Cause I don't think he's done. I really don't think yeah. he's done very excited to see where he ends up. And, and I, I think he's going to have a, a pretty damn good season in 2021. Yeah, I agree. And you know, one more thing I'll add first, I'll echo your sentiment there. Thank you to Malcolm Butler for his time in Tennessee as a Titan, but something, uh, one last thing I'll add, this is something the F words pod guys talked about on their bonus episode, but you know, maybe they did want to restructure Malcolm Butler. Maybe they did want to try to get that $14 million cap hit down. Maybe they asked him to take a pay cut. But as Mike put it, you know, he was arguably the best player on the defense. They're, they're coming to him asking him to be the one to take a pay cut. You know, that probably wouldn't go over too well. So I think, you know, if I had to guess, obviously we have no idea what happened behind closed doors. But I would guess they tried to restructure. Malcolm Butler said, look, man, if I end up getting a lower, a, a lesser deal on the market... So be it. But I don't think it's fair that you would ask me to be the one to take a pay cut here after what what I did for the defense last season. So I can see how they may have been a part. I don't think there was any animosity. He posted a really nice message on Twitter, a nice sentiment, a nice thank you sentiment to the fans of Nashville and the Titans organization. So 
Wishing Malcolm Butler the best of luck in his next stop, wherever that may be. Let's talk about Kenny Vaccaro. This one hurts for me on a more personal level because, as some of you may know, I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Not only do I have that in common with Kenny V, but we went there at the same time. Used to see this guy at the gym playing basketball, would, would run pickup games with him pretty often. He could fly on the basketball court. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know how tall he is. He's not that tall, but this guy was throwing it down on the court. And he's one of a few Titans players who actually follow me on Twitter. So I'm going to be very sad to see Kenny Vaccaro go. You know, that that flying around thing he did on the basketball court back in college, that's how he played football too. Flying around the defense, aggressive, reckless with his body, just putting it on the line for the team. Really brought an attitude and came in and fit in right away when the Titans signed him back in August of what, 2018, I think? 2019 maybe? 2018, I, I want to say. And he's, he's played great football pretty much since he signed here. So this was just another cap casualty. The tight, his, he was due $6.9 million against the cap this year. The Titans will save $3.9 million because he had a dead cap hit of $3 million. So $3.9 million in savings between him and Butler. After the Adam Humphreys release last week, the Titans are sitting with approximately $17 million in available cap space. We'll see if they do anything restructures or anything like that with the current guys to try and free up some more space but or or trade a player like they did we'll talk about Isaiah Wilson here but on Kenny Vaccaro you know this is I think this is a similar situation to letting Jayon Brown walk in that you have what you hope to be a capable in-house replacement I mentioned that Amani Hooker a second ago had a great year Amani Hooker had four interceptions tied for the team lead last season and he did not play near the number of snaps that the most of the defensive starters played. So really promising, efficient play from Imani Hooker, who I think can not necessarily take over the role that Kenny Vaccaro filled, but take over as the second starting safety next to all-pro Kevin Byard, who you just have to cross your fingers and hope returns to that all-pro level, right? I agree, and I like what you said there about the in-house replacement because in a year, again, with the cap being the way it is, and if you can find young, cheap quality in-house replacements uh, and save some money against the cap, then there's no better year to do it than this year. Right. And we're seeing the way John Robinson is operating. He's obviously thinking on that. He's obviously thinking the same way. So uh, if I, if you had to name two players, two young guys on the Titans roster, you know, on the defense for sure, but maybe on the entire roster that are, <laughs> you think are ready to step into a starting role and play more snaps. I mean, you might say Amani Hooker and David Long. Right. And I, and I think I that's what we're going to see happen next year. Yep. And, and, and for Kenny V, just to go just to go back to Kenny, um, another tough loss for me. Right. Just like Malcolm Butler, a guy, a guy that they signed in the middle of August. Right. Due to an injury, due to an injury it was Jonathan. No, not Jonathan. Was it Jonathan Cyprian? Jonathan Cyprian, Cyprian yes. tore his ACL and it, Kenny McCarroll was signed to replace him. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's correct. So it was Cyprian who goes down in the middle of August. And they signed Kenny Vaccaro, who's on the streets, you know what, a couple weeks before the season starts. And, and Vaccaro comes in and just played terrific football for them. I mean, when I talked about Malcolm Butler, I mentioned being a tone setter on the defense. But you want to talk about tone setter, there's no bigger tone setter than Kenny Vaccaro, right? And the way that he throws around his body, he's incredibly physical. I mean, I, I still remember, remember that regular that Patriots. season game? Yeah. Yes, against the Patriots. It's, it stands where, out. It's uh, like Mariota a memory. Mariota won that. You know, it was a terrific game. They jumped out to a big <laughs> lead. But that Kenny Vaccaro hit, I think it was on the Patriots' first play from scrimmage. 
Right. Yeah. And it came after a quick Titans touchdown. It just, it just, you just knew that team came to play that day. And, and Vaccaro was a big part of that. So shout out to Kenny Vaccaro, another guy. I'm excited to see where he lands next year. I don't think he's done. I think he still has some good football in front of him. Um, but from a team perspective, you know, again, seeing Amani Hooker on the roster led the team, as you said, tied for the lead in interceptions with four on the team, despite not being the starter. Uh, I think he's absolutely ready to step up to the plate and, and, and play as a starter on this defense. I agree. So let's talk about the next move here. This one didn't necessarily free up cap space, but it did in a way. Isaiah Wilson, disaster first round pick, who we said it would be magic if John Robinson could trade for anything. Well, he did it. He traded him to the Miami Dolphins along with next year, 2022 seventh round pick in exchange for Miami's seventh round pick this year in 2021. So a seventh round pick swap. Isaiah Wilson gets taken off the books for the remainder of his uh, contract in Tennessee. However, the Titans did pick up an additional $1.85 million cap hit for Isaiah Wilson for the dead cap guaranteed money that they will not be paying him because he's going to Miami now. So they did owe him a little bit of extra, but it frees up like $3.4 million, I think, off of next year's cap. So if they did a restructure with Tannehill or Lawan or any of the big big paid highly paid players they have they could move some of that money to next year where they now have freed up 3.4 million dollars in cap space so they did have to pay an extra 1.85 million this year to get him off the books but i think you know when you think about what it does for the locker room to get a guy that who had just recently tweeted he was done with football as a titan you could hear it on bussin with the boys whenever taylor lawan and will compton tried to avoid talking about isaiah wilson that I mean, you could just tell the locker room was done with this guy, as done with him as he was with football as a Titan. So how do you, how, what was your reaction? I mean, I felt quite a bit of joy when I saw this alert come across the page. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the Titans are, are happy to be over with this uh, this mess and, and and happy to move on. But quick question for you. Do we know for sure that he's passed a physical already? That's a great point. So in order for this trade to finalize, which, by the way, no trades will be finalized. Any trade you've heard about, Carson Wentz included, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, no trade can be finalized until the league year resets. And I don't know this 100% for sure, but I believe that's when the physicals will happen. So we're not going to find out about this until Wednesday. But yes, good point. Isaiah Wilson, in order for this trade to go through, has to pass a physical in Miami. And he did have an Instagram post recently with like a ace bandage wrap around his hand or something. So honestly, who knows if this guy's healthy or in shape at all right now to pass this physical, but I feel like he's going to, right? This would be a huge story if he didn't. <laughs> if he has to come back. Yeah. Um, what to say about this situation? Like, I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm going to be... I'm going to take a non-biased route for a second here because when the trade was announced, they got a seventh round pick back. It's, it's virtually nothing, right? They basically, they, what they get the right to sign another UDFA. Basically it's what a seventh round pick is. It's just a goal. Well, they didn't have a seventh round pick. So next time you do an, a position focused mock draft, the seventh round pick part won't be like make believe it'll be a legitimate scenario. That's true. Outside of that, it's still a seventh round <laughs> pick. It, it it doesn't, you know, it, it rarely pans out. Um, a lot of people, you know, again, I, I get they saved some money by trading him as opposed to releasing him. But I think I've seen a little too much padding on the back 
this week that oh, John Robinson was able to trade Isaiah Wilson. Oh my God. Still drafted Isaiah Wilson, right? <laughs> a year, yeah. you know, a year into a first round pick, dumping him for a seventh round pick. It's a total disaster, right? It's just a, it's a, it's a disaster of epic proportions. It's just a nightmare to have to move on from your first round pick 11 months, you know, and, and, and uh, for a team like the Titans, think about it, who, who just had to cut Kenny Vaccaro and Malcolm Butler and had to cut Adam Humphreys. You need draft picks, right? And you need good, you need players to fill the roster out with. You need your Amani hookers and David longs. And don't get me wrong. John Robinson's a terrific general manager. He's done a great job here. And I believe he will continue to do a great job, but you need draft picks, right? And you need them to, to be able to play a role for you. So I was willing to give them a little more leeway on this when I thought, oh, Isaiah Wilson just, you know, changed, switched up. He got paid and he changed. He's going through something. They couldn't have seen. I mean, John Robinson has said it. He said that, you know, this was not the Isaiah Wilson that we met before the draft. I don't know what to believe because you got a lot of people out there now saying that you knew he, there was a ton of red flags. He was a disaster. We just saw, uh, what was it, a Twitch from um, – I do want to say their correct name, yep. so excuse me. Thor uh, Nystrom I, I had Thor Nystrom. Yep, had and Lindsay NFL Crook. agent Lindsay, Lindsay Crook. Crook. Yep, I was going to Lindsay Crook and and and, and Mister Crook, who by the way uh, is a good agent. You know, he's got some some good good uh, good clients. Uh, I believe he's got uh, the safety from Cincinnati this year, who I'm a big fan of, James Wiggins, who I think is a, a very intriguing player on day three a guy who uh, can really do a lot of things, but I'm not going to get into all that now. But Lindsey Crook is a good NFL agent. For him to go on this live Twitch stream with Thor, who's who's a great person, by the way, who I've communicated with on many occasions and is really friendly and is well-plugged in and knows his stuff. For Lindsey to go on to this Twitch and say, I knew Isaiah Wilson was a pain in the ass. There was a bunch of red flags. I took a meeting with him. He didn't seem to take it seriously at all. You know, it just seemed like a headache to me. He's not the only person, right, who's come out of the woodshed lately and, and talked about the red flags with Isaiah Wilson. So it's starting to look like John Robinson or whoever, the Titans just ignored all these red flags when they drafted him. That's not or what they're didn't saying. didn't see them or didn't see them. I mean, or didn't I'm see not sure it. which is but worse. But either way, there's, a, there's blame to go around, right? <laughs> either, either they didn't see the red flags that they – either they, need, they didn't see red flags that they need to be seeing or right. they – Ignored red flags that they absolutely should not have ignored. Either way is right. not not good for the Titans. So either way, I'm not going to get on the timeline and, and, and praise the Titans and praise John Robinson for being able to get something back for Isaiah Wilson. I don't remember the last time a team gave up on a or had to give up on a first round pick this quickly. Yeah, it's a disaster. It's a full blown disaster. And uh, no, 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 no praise for this situation because it's shitty, you know, to lose a first round pick, what, 11 months into it. You got three snaps out of him out of the first, I think. Four right? total, and they were on, three on offense. Three, yeah, like just it's victory formation. I mean, hey, I, I could I go him. on. He's a winner, I could go dude. on all night. <laughs> it's a guy who only played to take kneel downs. That is an ultimate winner, in my opinion. I, I mean, I don't know. I, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's I'm blowing it out of proportion. I mean, has there been a worse first round pick in the history of football? Like, how does it get oh, worse? Oh, I've been, man, I've been around around with people about this because because I agree. I mean, I think the guys on Efforts Pod made a case for him not being the worst first round pick ever recently, talking about how because he's a 29th pick, he's almost a second round pick at that point. And you're not relying on like the Titans had a Dennis Kelly, right? Imagine how bad 
this pick would look in retrospect if they didn't have a suitable player to come in and be a right tackle. I mean, the year, I can't even, it's like, I can't even talk about it, but it's such a disaster. So from that standpoint, I see like it didn't necessarily set the team back. Well, you know what? No, see, can I make a counterpoint? Yeah. When you draft a tackle at 20, I don't care. It's at 29th overall, right? And then your starting left tackle gets hurt. Who should be stepping in? Yeah. Should it not have been the tackle that you drafted in the first round? Even yet you had Dennis Kelly. That was a great, it was a luxury. But (laughs) like you had, you had to go to multiple backup tackles. And it wasn't him. Yeah. And yes, they got some, what? maybe slightly below average play out of Ty Sombrello and maybe slightly above average play out of David Kissenberry. But you had to go to your backup tackles and it should have been the first round pick. But who's to say that your rookie right tackle is going to give you better? I mean, you, and this is also a criticism for sure, because you do draft your first round picks to make an impact. But if they had needed him to make an impact, it would be a way worse pick. But all that said... All that said, I still agree with you. No, but I still agree with you that I think he's the worst first-round pick in history because, yeah, Jamarcus Russell set the Raiders back a lot. But you know what? And and this is subjective, I agree. But the Raiders got to put Jamarcus Russell on the field and find out if they did a good or bad job evaluating him as a football player, obviously, not as a character. The the Jaguars got to feel at least a little bit of success when they saw Justin Blackman tearing up defenses before he got bounced out of the league. And and Ryan Leaf played an NFL career, you know, I mean, he wasn't great for the I think who drafted him, the Chargers or whatever. He wasn't great. Obviously, flamed out in four years or whatever, but he got multiple contract. He got multiple other chances. So when it comes to like biggest busts of all time, like the fact that Isaiah Wilson didn't even get a chance to go on the field and either prove or disprove that he deserved to be picked at 29th overall because he couldn't even like get him, get his act together enough to want to play football is mind bogglingly insane to me. And that is what I think. Yeah. Epic failure. That's what I think sets it apart is like, yeah, Jamarcus Russell was the first overall pick and the Raiders didn't find the quarterback that they needed to find. But like, the quarterbacks, I don't remember that draft exactly, but I feel like the quarterbacks that year weren't very good. And, I mean, the fact that your first-round pick never <laughs> fucking sees the field outside of the three kneel-downs, which was just like, I don't know what that was. Was it like pity? Was it to like give him one tiny chance? I, I don't even know why he was active for that game. But, yeah, I, I'm with and, you. And, I think and to me, horrible. yeah, and, and, and sorry, not to double down on my point, but to say, oh, well, he didn't hold him back because, you know, he didn't have to make an impact sure he he could have they were down a left tackle and then they were down two left tackles and i know he played right tackle at georgia but you drafted a tackle in the first round he should absolutely be the one playing when when you're down two tackles to season ending injuries yeah i guess so but at that point in the season yeah i agree i agree i mean i i don't disagree but i also it would have been him it would have been it absolutely would have been him if he had his act together. I don't yeah, think they okay, would have held fair. him out of the lineup. Be- right? I don't think they would have held him out. Oh, because he's a right tackle. I don't think they would have held him out. You know, I don't think they would have put in Ty or Kissenberry if he was ready to play. Yeah. Maybe Mentally. So. 
So, yeah, the Titans lose their first-round pick from a year ago, trade him to Miami. The one thing I will say, I, while I agree with you about the John Robinson more or less criticism or, I guess, not praising him, I do think that if you just look at it as a sunk cost and, like, last year is last year and we're done criticizing last year, from that standpoint, you you do have to give him some credit for recognizing the mistake and getting him off the roster the fastest, most efficient way possible in a way that won't really affect the locker room and that you get at least a, a tiny marginal return. On, I mean, it's very, very small, obviously, but at least a marginal return. I think they get, it's the third pick of the seventh round or whatever, so that's likely to be a better pick than whatever the Titans give them next year. Obviously, seventh-round picks are meaningless to begin with, but I do think John Robinson has a pretty great history of owning his mistakes and just cutting bait and getting over it. Kevin Dodd, Vic Beasley, and now Isaiah Wilson. Hopefully we don't have to add any more mistakes to that counter, but I mean, three in five years is not an awful rate. No, it's not, right? And, and I've said, I don't think John Robinson's a bad GM. I think he's a great GM. Obviously, I think we, of, we agree there for sure. Yeah, one of the better GMs in the league, but um, I'm still going to agree to disagree with you on the end. I'm not I'm not praising anything to do with this Isaiah Wilson situation, especially knowing now that you know red flags were apparently there and were either ignored or or missed it's either way it's it's a disastrous decision and there, there's no praise on on uh, <laughs> on this trade for me because it's it's just a, it's it's a disaster <laughs> all right well luckily i mean maybe not luckily maybe i should say hopefully because if he fails his physical man knock on wood but hopefully we never have to talk about isaiah wilson ever again the dolphins do play the titans next year but I don't think Isaiah Wilson will be a factor because, frankly, I don't expect this guy to ever play a down for the Dolphins. But no, I've seen. I, I had to have a chuckle. You know, I've seen a lot of Dolphins fans on Twitter. You know, and I, I mean, any fan base has those type of fans. They're like, oh, you know, it's a steal, and we're gonna get the most out of him. And I saw one guy prick. They're gonna turn him into an All Pro uh, right tackle and all these things. And oh, he, really quick, can I touch on the Brian Flores connection? Because apparently they went to the same high school, so that means that Brian Flores is gonna get the most out of Isaiah Wilson. Go Give ahead. me a break, man. That could not be more. That could not be less relevant to Isaiah Wilson's career at this point as a football player. His that his new head coach went to the same high school. If anything. You'd think Brian Flores would have known <laughs> not to trade for the guy. Or it's another indication of the fact that he did just simply change when he got to the NFL and got that money, you know? Yeah, I can't imagine that the high school thing's going to matter at all. I find it funny that people think, oh, you know, you know, and, and I, I should have tweeted this. I wanted to put it on the timeline. All this, you know, I, look, I think Brian Flores is, is a great head coach. He absolutely yeah. seems like a terrific coach. But all this praise after the trade, oh, Brian Flores is going to get the most out of him. Brian Flores this, Brian Flores that. I mean, what do we think of Mike Vrabel? I know, do we not right? think Mike Vrabel is a good head coach? Do we think Brian Flores is 10 times the head coach that Mike Vrabel is? Because he isn't. So to me, all this, Brian Flores this, Brian Flores that, I mean, I just, I don't understand the logic of just ignoring the Mike Vrabel factor. Coaches, yeah. uh, coaches, excuse me, players like Mike Vrabel. Players love playing for Mike Vrabel. So if he couldn't get Isaiah Wilson to, to get his head out of his ass, why do we think Brian Flores is going to? Why do we think any NFL coach is going to? Because they went to the same high school, not. 15 <laughs> yeah. years apart. I mean, good luck. Good luck, Miami. Right. 
All right. Hopefully that's the last we mentioned Isaiah Wilson on this podcast. Let's move on to some other news. The franchise tag transition tag deadline passed. Lots of speculation that the Titans might use the franchise or transition tag on Jonu Smith. Deadline passed. No tag used. A lot of people now think that Jonu and Corey are going to hit free agency. Jayon Brown didn't get tagged, obviously. Daquan Jones, Devion Clowney, Desmond King. All the pending free agents we've been talking about for two months are set to hit free agency as of this recording on Thursday night. Did you freak out? Did you panic? Were you surprised? What was your reaction? Yeah, I was a little surprised. You know, last year they used their non-exclusive franchise tag on Derrick Henry, and it gave them a chance to, you know, enter a negotiating period, and they eventually worked out a long-term deal with Henry. I thought they were going to use that on Jonu Smith. I'm a little surprised that they didn't. I think the number was right around $8 million if they had used the tag on him. Uh, I think $8 million for the transition and $10 million for the franchise. But again, we didn't know that at the time of the deadline True. because you that number is based on the salary cap. You'd yeah, have to I, think that team's had an idea. Yeah, there's no way, you know, that that that's something that they probably, you know, passed around privately and maybe didn't go public with it right away. But a little surprised that they didn't use the tag on John New Smith. Uh, you know, the Corey Davis tag was a little high and, and certainly would have been unreasonable. But the John New tag, I thought was, you know, the price tag that is for John New, I thought was more than fair. So it was certainly a little surprised that they didn't use it on him. The only thing I can think of, two things, two things. I think the transition tag would have been, look, because a lot of people are saying, well, John New's obviously going to go get a lot in the free agent market. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. If you use the transition tag, then you let him get those offers and you can gauge as a team if you want to match those offers or not. And if you don't want to, then it's the same thing as if you didn't tag him in the first place, except that right now, if you tag him, you have to allocate that money towards your cap, and that could affect your liquid spending because all teams have to be top 51 players. The top 51 cap hits for 2021 have to be under the salary cap by the time the new league year starts on Wednesday, which is the same time that free agent signings can begin officially. So if you, if you tag him, then that money's counting against your cap until you renegotiate and then you maybe can't sign the free agents you want to sign. You're just less liquid in a sense. So my hope as a Titans fan is that they are using these last few days that they have. I mean, last year, Ryan Tannehill didn't get tagged. Obviously, you can only use one tag, right? The team tagged Derrick Henry, so they couldn't tag Ryan Tannehill. If you just want a timeline comparison, last year, Ryan Tannehill's deal was signed right before the legal tampering window opened. We got the news break. So that this year, that's it's always on a Monday, but that's happening on the next Monday, Monday, March 15th, is that legal tampering window opening. So the Titans have time still to sign Jonu Smith and sign Corey Davis to extensions, and I still think they're going to sign one, if not both, of those guys. Well, I think both those guys are going to be back in Nashville. I think they're going to sign... I think they're going to sign at least one of them before Monday, and I just am going to believe that until it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, with all this money they've saved, you know, with, of course, the Adam Humphreys cut, the Malcolm Butler cut, the Kenny Vaccaro cut. I feel like the saving grace is they got to keep those horses on offense, right? They got to keep John U. Smith. They got to keep Corey Davis. Keep your guys um, that have really done so much, uh, that have done so much good things for you on, on the offensive side of the ball. You know, that's the unit that you've hung your hat on over the last two years. You know, you're scoring, you know, damn near 30 points a game in 2020. That, you know, that, that, that's how you feel you need to win football games in, in today's game, right? You got to play great offense. So, this money that they've created, bring back John New Smith, bring back Corey Davis. To me, those two things are no-brainers, and I really hope both of them happen. 
Yeah, me too. And while we're on the topic of money and creating money and saving money and yada yada, we've seen some no some some news out there about other teams restructuring their guys and freeing up cap space and Titans have made the cuts we expected or or maybe didn't even expect, but what at least talked about. They haven't, at least to our knowledge. And I'm not even sure, honestly, 100% sure how much they have to report when they make a restructured move or something. I, you'd think they'd want the news to break, but like they don't necessarily have to break that news and tell everyone how much cap space they have, teams that they're competing against for signing players. So there's a chance, I think it's a very low chance, but there is a chance that they've already restructured some deals and we just haven't heard news about it yet. But yeah, I'm wondering, where are the restructures? You. It's so easy. It doesn't cost the player any money, but it frees up cap space. The player know, the players know it helps the team build a better roster to compete. Obviously, all the players on the team want to win. So it seems like a win-win, no-brainer for all sides involved. The player not only doesn't lose money, they get more money up front because you convert a base salary into a signing bonus. Remember, I talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, how contracts work. You got the base salary and the signing bonus. Well, the base salary can be converted to signing bonus in a restructured deal, and then you spread out that new signing bonus over the remaining years of the contract. It re- basically removes a huge chunk of cap space in that the year that you're restructuring if you do it right. So it's easy. It, nobody loses, and that's why you and I and other people who cover the team are just like – so expecting it to happen and we're still expecting it to happen but it hasn't as far as we know happened yet so where are the restructures for henry for Tannehill, for lawan those are the biggest contracts on the team i don't think kevin byard can be restructured because of some weird little fluky regulation about when his contract extension was signed or something like that but the rest of these guys let's get it done jay rob we're waiting we're, we're waiting here man we're running out of time yeah, I felt like, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody, if you're, if you're listening to this, hopefully you read uh, Mike Herndon's article, right, that he wrote a couple weeks back where he's actually hit the nail on the head on a lot of these, right? He talked about the possibilities of maybe releasing Humphreys, maybe releasing Butler, maybe releasing Vaccaro. So he went and three trading three Wilson. He, he was four for four. <laughs> and trading Wilson. That's right. So four for four. But one thing he was wrong on, Mike, is he mm-hmm. talked about a lot of these restructures, right? We talk, I think he talked about Ryan Tannehill, maybe. Uh, I think you talked about Taylor Lewan for sure. Um, so it, it's strange to me, right, that that Rob that John Robinson hasn't gone down that road yet. Because all kidding aside, Mike is incredibly, um, you know, uh, he knows the salary cap inside out, and he really understands how these things work a lot better than I do. I, I put my hand up there, and I've I've never been a big uh, salary cap guy, but Mike knows how these things work. That's why he's four for four, and, and he made some of those restructures sound sound pretty easy, right? And, and pretty plausible, especially in a year um, where cap space is, it's like, it's like gold bars, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's tough to come across. So uh, interesting to me that uh, Robinson hasn't gone down that road yet because it seems like a no brainer. I agree. So I, I would say, keep your eye out for that news to come in the next few days. Cause I really think it's, it's on its way. We just haven't got there yet. All right. Let's talk about some other Titans nuggets here. Jayon Brown, according to, I guess his agent <laughs> passed a physical, His elbow is all good. All indications, however, are that he's probably going to hit free agency just because we talked about it earlier when we talked about Matt Milano's deal. But I just don't think the Titans have the cap space to afford Jayon Brown. But good for him that he's healthy. Kari Blossom game last Friday re-signed with Tennessee. So he will be back. I think he was, I'm not sure if he was restricted or exclusive rights, but the Titans controlled his rights. So that was kind of expected. Another guy whose rights they controlled that we thought may or may not be back, we just recently discussed this, is 
Khalif Raymond, fan favorite, speedster, who we've had on this podcast, who we did a video film session breakdown, 50-minute session with. That's on YouTube. You can go watch it. I, I thought Khalif was a great teammate on this in this Titans locker room, hardworking guy, nose to the grindstone, do your job, do your work hard, and try to get noticed. So I I see his limitations as a player, but the Khalif, the person I love, I know you actually have a closer relationship with him, so if, it must hurt more for you seeing Khalif that Khalif will probably not be back in Titans blue next year. Hey, it's a, it's a business at the end of the day. Obviously, you know, I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to be biased. I'm a big Khalif Raymond guy. He, he's a guy that I've gone to know, uh, you know, really well throughout the years uh, that he's been in Tennessee. Uh, first interviewed him. I think, uh, geez, you know, 2019, maybe uh, when, you know, just after he was, he was there for a couple of months and he's someone uh, for whatever reason, you know, we, we were kind of able to build the friendship a little bit and, uh, you know, talk uh, from time to time. And he's just a really good dude. And I'm really excited for him to see what's next. You know, he heads into free agency um, uh, as somebody that I think is, is, is obviously going to go elsewhere, as you said, you know, so as much as I, I love having him in Tennessee and I'll certainly miss having him there in Nashville, I'm excited for what's next for him. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't feel any certain way about it. No, no negative emotions for it. Cause I'm excited for what's next. He deserves to hit free agency. I think he's earned the right um, to have this opportunity and, and to see what kind of interest is in now out there for him, because this is his first time doing this, right? Really let's be honest. You know, he broke in as a UDFA. He had been cut a whole bunch of times. I think what, like 13 times from like seven or eight different teams or something like that. He's with the giants. I think he's with the jets for a while. He's with the Broncos. Like he's been, he's been a little bit all over the place and those teams cut him multiple times. He was there more than once. The Titans have cut him multiple times, yeah. right? But he ends up signing. Uh, I think it was a futures deal. That was his foot in the door and credit to him for doing what he did right worked worked his butt off came into training camp looked great that first year and then had a big preseason and makes the team and then really built himself up where he got to enter this past season where he wasn't even on the roster bubble right that that's the truth of it he he went in a year he went from a guy that was a long shot to make the roster to he was a no-brainer that he was going to make the roster this past year so uh, a lot of love for Khalif Raymond. Shout out to him. Really excited to see what's next for him because I think he's going to be able to find uh, a pretty enticing opportunity in free agency, and I think he deserves that. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, and we talked about some possible landing spots for him a couple episodes back. The the other West Coast-type offenses, Atlanta, the Jets, the Niners, the Rams, all potential landing spots. If you are a big Khalif Raymond fan and want to follow his career, I wouldn't blame you, but... It is kind of sad to me that the lasting impression, the lasting memory of Khalif Raymond in Tennessee is him falling down on the last offensive play of the playoff game that they lost to the Ravens uh, and causing basically the game-losing interception. So, you know, I don't know if that had anything to do with this decision. I doubt it. But I do think that the Titans just, again, want to get younger, faster, cheaper. Not necessarily cheaper, but I think they're they're looking to be more well-rounded in their wide receiver room. And Khalif Raymond definitely has a limited skill set, sometimes outshined by Cameron Batson, as they are pretty similar players, although I think Batson has a little bit more versatility to his game. So it's sad to see Khalif Raymond go, but I do think he'll land on his feet somewhere. All right, last thing I want to do before we get out of this pretty long, jam-packed episode, because there's been a lot of news. Sorry, guys, but we're talking about everything today. Nine franchise tags were used around the NFL. 
and the Titans. I already mentioned we're not one of them, but I'm just going to quickly run through the players. In case you had any hopes of landing any of these guys in free agency, know that they are off the table. Broncos tagged Justin Simmons. Jets tagged Marcus May. Saints tagged Marcus Williams. Three safeties. I thought that was surprising. Washington tagged guard Brandon Scherf. The Giants tagged Leonard Williams, so the best defensive tackle will not hit the market. Jaguars tagged Cam Robinson, who has been routinely abused by the Titans edge rushers, who haven't even been that good since he was drafted by Jacksonville, so I don't hate that at all. The Bucks tagged Chris Godwin, and the Bears tagged Allen Robinson, which makes Corey Davis and Kenny Galladay and maybe Curtis Samuel kind of the top. I mean, Corey Davis has an argument for being the top free agent receiver on the market now. The Panthers tagged tackle Taylor Moton. He's actually already signed his tag. And in a, as more of a formality than anything, the Cowboys tagged Dak Prescott. But like I said, he already has signed his extension. What's important here is the players who were not tagged. I'm going to name the edge rushers who a lot of speculation that some or most of these guys would be tagged. None of them were tagged. Carl Lawson, my favorite free agent target for the Titans. Bud Dupree, Matt Judon, Yannick Ngakwe, Shaq Barrett, Leonard Floyd, Romeo Aquara, and Hassan Reddick are just some of the edges who did not get tagged along with nose tackle Dalvin Tomlinson and some other guys like Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, Hunter Henry, Chris Carson, Aaron Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, Joe Tooney, among others. So it is going to be a stacked free agent class across the board. Still think there's a chance the Ravens get a deal done with Ngakwe before Monday or Wednesday. Same thing with the Bucks and Shaq Barrett. Same thing, honestly, with the Bengals and Carl Lawson. I'm a little scared there because Carl Lawson had some comments on Thursday that he knows the Bengals would treat him right, but he also said he's interested in free agency and he knows there's a big market for him, which also kind of scares me because this whole time we've been talking about Carl Lawson being a cheaper option to Bud Dupree and Matt Judon, but that's really only kind of based on Spotrack projections and our own kind of guesses based on the name recognition and the number of sacks these guys have accumulated, but... You know, at the end of the day, it wouldn't shock me if Carl Lawson ended up signing a deal, the same same value as those guys, or maybe even the biggest deal for a player changing teams, you know? So we'll see what happens with Carl Lawson. But as of now, expected to hit the market along with the rest of these guys. I don't want to spend too much time here because we did a whole free agent episode, but best fits uh, out of these guys. Oh, another guy I didn't even mention, Curtis Samuel will hit the market. He's He's been uh, connected to the Titans just in terms of fit around NFL media a lot. So any of these guys jump out? Carl Lawson. Yeah, he's the one, right? <laughs> Who I've been, yeah, I mean, we've been banging the table for him for a couple episodes now. We probably sound like a broken record. But yeah, Carl Lawson for me, man. I, to me, it's a no-brainer. I'd love to see the Titans go get this guy, go after him, pay what needs to be paid. I think they can make it happen. Again, you know, maybe got to do some restructures and look at some other things. But, you know, you're, you're down Malcolm Butler, you're down Kenny, you're down Humphreys, you're going to be down Jayon Brown, I think. Bring me Carl Lawson, re-sign Corey Davis, re-sign John U. Smith, couple depth signings, yada, yada, doesn't even matter. Let's head to the draft. Bring back John U., bring back Corey, go get Carl Lawson. I think that'd be a home run off season for John Robinson. I absolutely agree. And boy, does he need a home run off season after last year's. And, you know, it's kind of crazy to go back and think about what happened in that 2019 off season when you acquire Ryan Tannehill and really lay the groundwork for a team that went to the AFC championship that season. I mean, Ryan Tannehill has got to be one of the most underrated off season acquisitions of the last five years because, People don't even talk about the great move that was, mostly because it's been overshadowed by how terrible the 2020 offseason was. So John Robinson, 
obviously you and I agree is one of the better GMs in the NFL, but he's got some work to do over these next few days here to just honestly (laughs) make Titans fans feel better about their situation heading into the draft. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And, and one thing I do want to quickly say, because I know I kind of I kind of shit on them for the for the Isaiah Wilson situation. <laughs> but um, when, when people talk about the John Robinson 2020 offseason, they don't talk enough about the decision to re up Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, because as as you know, it, it wasn't as simple as some maybe are making it out to be. There's a lot of people out there who say don't pay running backs. They still believe that. There are a lot of people out there who say, well, Ryan Tannehill is a one-hit wonder and they should not re-sign him. John Robinson went two for two on those decisions, and they were the two biggest decisions he had to make in 2020. So, yes, Vic Beasley, horrible decision. Isaiah Wilson, horrible decision. Jadavion Clowney didn't work out. I, I stopped short of calling it horrible because we all wanted it to happen. Right. Um, and and, and it, for, it didn't work out. He got hurt. It is what it is. Obviously, didn't get your bang for your buck there. Didn't work out. But Ryan Townhill and Derrick Henry were two fantastic decisions that John Robinson made in 2020. So as bad as some of the things were, let's not lose sight of some of the good that he did as well. Could have been If he would have let Ryan Townhill walk, there would have been a lot of people who probably would have been on his side. If he would have let Derrick few, Henry walk. few of the more vocal Twitter supporters for sure would have been in favor definitely, of that. Definitely. So he, he, he went two for two on the biggest decisions that he had to make right, in terms of keeping his star running back and securing Tannehill as the future, uh, you know, signal caller of the team. So, you know, shout out to John Robinson because those two moves ended up being, you know, phenomenal moves. And while we're praising John Robinson, I'm going to read you guys a tweet that Mike Herndon at Mike Miracles literally just tweeted seven minutes ago as of this recording or last night, depending on when you're listening to this. If the Titans don't re-sign Jayon Brown, and I tend to lean towards the idea that they won't, there is a real good chance that five of their six 2019 draft picks are starters. Jeffrey Simmons, A.J. Brown, Nate Davis, Amani Hooker, and David Long Jr. So as much of a disaster as the 2020 draft was in terms of rookie contributions, that 2019 draft is looking like maybe an all-timer at this moment. It really is. And it's, you know, it could be a tad early, but I'd be, I'd be surprised if that class doesn't go down as an all-timer. At this point, yeah. I mean, A.J. Brown is already an all-timer. I don't care what anybody says. A.J. Brown <laughs> is just, he's already an all-timer. It's ridiculous. Jeffrey Simmons, um, we've seen flashes. I wouldn't say that he's been disappointing, but maybe hasn't lived up all the way to what we know he's capable of. But I think he's going to, you know, still going to be a very good player. Nate Davis was was great this past year. Uh, his first year, right? Well, first year is starting right guard. First year is the full-time starter. Yeah, he came in pretty early as a as a rookie, but yes, first year is full going first year full time starter. Yeah, yeah, they they had the, yeah they started with Jamil was it Jamil Douglas last year? Oh boy, yeah, in twenty nineteen, yeah, and remember what happened? He gave up like four sacks to Clayus Campbell and we Camp- Clayus Campbell think, on prime time. Yeah, and got Marcus Mariota basically killed, and then that was sort of the beginning of the end. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> but Nate Davis is is a, is a is a starting quality right guard, no doubt about it. You're going to see Amani Hooker start next year, in my opinion, with with the Vaccaro move already done. I'd be shocked if Amani Hooker wasn't a starter next year, and I feel like David Long is going to be a starter as well, right? I mean, I, I'd be surprised if they let Jayon walk and then do something big at inside linebacker. That's not Jayon Brown, right? So, um, terrific, terrific class that uh, I think is absolutely going to go down as an all-timer. And and while you're talking about Imani Hooker, something I actually meant to say and kind of forgot to say, and I know we're going extremely long on this episode, but hey, it's been a jam-packed week, guys, is that Imani Hooker. So 
He's a great dropping back into space player. He's not a great up-in-the-box safety. He's not your your run defense. He doesn't give you what Kenny Vaccaro gives you, which is toughness in the box and the ability to come up and, and make stops in the run game. But I think what the best way to handle this is is to kind of flip Kevin Byard is such a versatile safety, right? So you kind of flip the roles. And Kevin, they've they've always been interchangeable. They use these guys all over the place. They don't really have a set role anyway. But I think if you see... I think we're going to see more Kevin Byard up in the box playing sort of a big nickel coverage role on tight ends and and running backs when needed and especially on tight ends and allow Amani Hooker to patrol the back end because he has terrific range. I remember his I think it was his first interception of last season was just he came from very or maybe it was an almost interception and it just showed off his insane range on the back end is like a center fielding safety. So I think you let him play in the back like that and you let Kevin Byard play closer to the line of scrimmage, almost kind of the way the Steelers use Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, let him use his instincts and read quarterback's eyes to make plays in the passing game and come up and be physical downhill in the run game. And I think you could see Kevin Byard be more of the impact player that you've grown accustomed to him seeing. And that would allow Amani Hooker to step right in as a starter and kind of seamlessly take over the starting role with, with no real problems. I think that that's the best way to deploy these safeties. And uh, I guess we'll kind of see what Shane Bowen thinks about that. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you said that. Cause I do think it's important that our, our listeners realize that although Omani hooker um, we're projecting is going to be a starter next season, it, it's hard to forecast him as a direct replacement for Kenny Vaccaro because the skill sets are so different and, and, and what they do well uh, is, is very different. So I uh, expect to see Kevin Byard, you know, probably playing towards uh, near the line of scrimmage a little bit more often than he has in the past, maybe coming down in the box and, and covering tight ends a little more. We've, we've seen him do that in the past and he's been really good at it, but overall because of this, uh, you know, uh, the transition from Vaccaro to hooker, I think you'll see Kevin Byard used in, in a little bit different than we have uh, seen in the past. Yep. I agree. All right. That's pretty much going to do it for us. Do you have any other thoughts here before we head into, I mean, next time we meet to do this podcast, there's going to be some big old signings have gone down. I, I was going to say, let's, let, let's prepare. It. Let's prepare the listeners right now for another jam-packed episode next week because we're recording this on Thursday night. You're listening to it, uh, you know, potentially on Friday morning uh, if you get it right when it comes out. But uh, by, by next week, I think we're going to have, a, once again, a lot of news to cover and probably a lot of Titan-specific news to cover again. So stay tuned, and I'm already excited for it. Oh, man. Mondays begins the most exciting week of the offseason until draft week, and I cannot wait for the news to come. Give me some restructure news, J-Rob. Give it to me. That's all I want. All right. Hope we miss it by a couple hours. You're going to wake up Friday morning and find out that (laughs) that somebody got restructured. 100%. It's going to happen. Or cut or signed. Who knows? Definitely happening tomorrow, a.k.a. Friday. Saturday, Sunday, lots of news going to go down, maybe even Monday morning before that legal tampering window officially opens. So keep your eyes out for the news. Turn on your Rappaport notifications, turn on your Shefty notifications, or just get like Bleacher Report to set your notifications. That's what I do. You get everything instantly, man. You set your favorites, set your team. Why am I doing an ad for Bleacher Report right now? I don't know. All righty, let's get out of here. Thank you guys for listening this long to the Music City Audible presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. You can follow the show at MCA Broadway on Twitter. Follow Justin at Justin M underscore NFL. All those draft interviews, all those visit notifications. Hey, Joseph Osai visited the Titans a lot and you didn't get it. What's up, bro? 
<laughs> yeah, I haven't spoken to Osai yet. Uh, haven't haven't done anything with his agency yet this year, but uh, we are planning. I am planning to start getting with those guys uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, shout out to Chrissy Freud, though. I'm glad that she got it. You know, she's a coworker of mine over at the Draft Network. Uh, she was a coworker of mine way back in the day when I was just cutting my teeth over at the Titans Wire. Uh, over at USA Today. So uh, me and Chrissy keep ending up at the same place and me and her talk about it all the time. We feel like it's a good sign. We both must be pretty good at what we do. So shout out to Chrissy. <laughs> I'm happy for her that she got that uh, that little piece of news. And I think he said he had spoken to them quite a bit. Yeah, right? he said a few reported. times. So, so more than one meeting. The rule on that, if you're not clear, is uh, teams are allowed to meet with any prospect through Zoom a maximum of five meetings. Uh, and I believe each meeting can last up to one hour. So uh, if he's heard from them quite a bit, it's safe to say that they've probably had at least two or three Zooms with him. So a uh, very interesting piece of news there. Yeah, and uh, we've got that um, prospect meeting tracker going over at Broadway Sports Media. We're over 40 prospects on the list here, closing in on 50. This is the first one that was not reported by you on the list. So again, <laughs> I'll shout out it. to Chrissy. <laughs> All righty, well, that'll wrap us up here. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast because it helps us grow. If you feel like leaving a five-star review, those help us grow. If you subscribe and then unsubscribe and then resubscribe, it drives us up the new subscriber ranking list and all that crazy algorithm stuff. If you guys could help us out, we really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening this long. We'll be back next week to recap the first week of free agency and the new 2021 NFL League year, which again starts on Wednesday, March 17th. Legal tampering opens on March 15th. So get your dates together mark your calendars and get ready for a crazy awesome week of nfl action and we'll be back next week to talk all about it until then you guys continue to stay safe and tighten up a broadway sports media production